Hola amigos, what's up? It's 2022. Happy New Year. I'm so glad 2021 is behind us. <sighs> tough, tough year. But you know what? I know we're resilient. We got through it. But you know what? The other day I was thinking about this and I was wondering, have you ever thought, why is fat so bad? Have you ever thought what's going on with fat and why we fear fat so much? I mean, some of the most majestic and beautiful animals in the world are so plump and so big. Elephants, whales, gorillas, polar bears, and they're so beautiful. And they don't spend all their time trying to lose weight. No, it's interesting, right? So in this episode today, I'm going to unravel some of that with you. Let's answer that question. Let's talk about why is fat so bad? All right. Cue the music. Here we go. You're listening to the One Small Bite Podcast with me, your host, David Roscoe. For over a decade, I've built a successful nutrition practice helping thousands of people thrive, nourish their life, and break the cycle of crazy diets. We will take one small bite at a time to transform your health and develop a positive relationship to food. So let's chop the diet mentality, fuel your body, and nourish your soul. Okay, are you ready? Let's do this. Yeah, that's a great question, isn't it? Well, in today's show, we're going to take a really good look at why is fat bad? We're going to dismantle fat phobia and weight stigma and body shame. So I'm going to refer back to those episodes a few weeks ago. So stay tuned. We're going to answer these questions about fat phobia. We're also going to look into the origins, how it is affecting our health, and that is not fat, but fat phobia. And what is the relationship to food, eating, and diets? And then, you know what? We're going to start looking at ways to change that. So I was thinking about this the other day, about that episode, or about, excuse me, about that documentary on Netflix, because I saw another one just the other day, and I thought to myself, you know what? It's so interesting. All of these animals, we think of them as so majestic and so beautiful, and so where did we get that fat phobia from? Where did that come from? How did that come to existence? Well, I started thinking, well, you know what? I remember reading the book, Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia. And this is by Dr. Sabrina Strings. If you ever got the opportunity, it's chock full of research. But I wanted to point out one thing that she introduces the book with, and she, she states the following, and I quote, These rationales for anti-bias had been circulating relatively independently in parts of Western Europe for more than two centuries, not until the early 19th century in the United States, in the context of slavery, religious rivals, and the massive immigration of persons deemed part Africanoid, did these notions come together under a coherent ideology. In the United States, fatness became stigmatized as both black and sinful. Hmm. And by the early 20th century, slenderness was increasingly promoted in the popular media as the correct embodiment for white Anglo-Saxon Protestant women. 
Okay, okay, this is interesting. Not until after these associations were already in place did the medical establishment begin to concerted effort to combat excess fat tissue as a major public health initiative. In this way, the phobia about fatness and the preference for thinness have not principally or historically been about health. Instead, they have been one way the body has been used to craft legitimate race, sex, and class hierarchies, end quote. thought that that was really interesting. She states that looking at the data and the research on anti-fat bias for over many, many centuries. It's interesting that it continues to exist. Well, my team at Orozco Nutrition, we usually have a once a month growth and education group or presentation. And what we do is we look for research and we talk about that research. And one thing that came up was a great article in Scientific America, and this came out in March 6, 2021. So it stated it was the title of In Obesity Research, Fat Phobia is Always the X Factor. It was very interesting because it talks about this study that was done in Spain on in the Journal of Preventive Cardiology or European Journal of Pre- uh, Preventive Cardiology. And it found that people with high BMIs had a higher risk of diabetes, hypertension, and high cholesterol than people with a body mass index scores in what's considered the normal range, whatever that means. And it really looked at something that was very, very interesting. It looked at just the weight of individuals, but what it didn't look at is whether these people already had cardiovascular illnesses to begin with or a history of them. It didn't look at people's lifestyle. It didn't look at the way people lived. It didn't look at all of that. So you've heard me mention this in previous episodes where I talk about how there is a contagion effect of research. In other words, people don't really look at the depth of research and it just accumulates over time. And so people believe the same thing over and over again. Don't really look at other variables. So well, let me give you an example. In 2017, a study published in the very same journal of 5,344 Dutch people, the age of 55, for 15 years, and found that high BMIs, who also had high levels of physical activity, showed no increased risk for their health compared to equally active people. An analysis, here's another one, an analysis of data of 22,476 Americans, aged 30 to 64, published in 2020, found that being physically active was associated with a large reduction in a person's 10-year health heart disease risk, having compared a normal BMI. Again, there's that word normal. In 2014, a meta-analysis of 10 studies showed that the mortality risk was no different for people who were fit in a large body than people that had, again, the normal weight range. So it's a paradox? No. Aside from this was some research that I did looking into people who are in large bodies who are very active, and I came across Mirna Valerio. Mirna Valerio lives in North Georgia, and she's a professor of music and Spanish at a private school in Rabin Gap, Georgia, which is near the Appalachian Mountains, right near the border of North Carolina. And it's interesting because she is a 
255, excuse me, 250 pound distance marathon runner, ultra marathon runner. Here's one thing that she states she quotes, People always say to me, anyone who runs as much as you deserves to be skinny. Of course, what they're really saying is, if you do all this running, why are you still fat? Hmm, interesting, right? So here we have a 39 year old, five foot seven, Spanish teacher, choir director, and she takes early morning groups out on a three mile run off campus. And she is a beautiful woman. And more importantly, people don't see it that way. Doctor will probably say, hey, you could probably st stand to lose some weight. And this is what I see with a lot of clients. I get doctors that will tell their clients, hey, this is great. You know, I think it is important that you lose some weight. Or sometimes the client has to have that conversation with a physician. Look, let's not talk about our weight. And that, my friends, is fat phobia, where the physician is fearing and then puts that fear on the patient or the client. And then that stress, that weight stigma, that body shaming, that fat phobia is in itself a form of stress. And that puts a person to not belong on a social or an emotional level to certain groups. I'm not worthy. I'm not as great as. Can this stress be the contributor to the diabetes, high blood pressure, and other health risks that occur in people in large bodies? But the point is, physical activity is going to help whether you're in a large body or not. But the fat phobia is so bad that people will resort to certain things, like the person I wrote about in my book, Isabel. Now, I'm not using her real name for privacy purposes, obviously, but Isabel is a 51 year old female, mother of two, and divorced. She divorced her ex husband and left him, who he was, a drunk and abusive, both physically and emotionally. She was the only one in her family to get not only a college degree, but a master's degree. She became a certified public accountant, which, by the way, if you don't know, they have to go through some rigor after they get their degree and take three exams. And so getting a CPA is not an easy task. Again, mind you, she's raising two kids on her own. Her daughter's 27, lives with her and her boyfriend in her house, in Isabel's house, and they have a nine-year-old daughter, so Isabel is a grandmother, and her son is in college, his first year in college. So anyway, she came to see me in 2015, and she had come to see me because her doctor recommended that she see a dietitian. Why? Because he thought she needed to lose weight. Now, granted, she did have multiple complications. She had fibroids, diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, back issues. She had two knee replacement surgeries. So she had some challenges. She definitely had some challenges. But it wasn't without her trying to lose weight in the past. She had tried so many diets before she came to see me. So when she came to see me, she was concerned. She was like, okay, I'll do this. Why am I going to do this? Again, fat phobia. Her physician is putting that fear that you are not a worthy person or you're going to get in more trouble or, again, fear, fear, fear. So there's a weight stigma. There is the body shaming indirectly and implicitly, explicitly, as I've mentioned previous episodes as well. And that's where a lot of physicians do that. Now, again, that comes from Probably a tough love mentality, but there's really no training in how to work with people in heavy bodies. And so she, of course, thought, okay, I'm going to see a dietitian. 
Now, when we started working, she was doing great. She was really taking to intuitive eating and and really focusing on her hunger and fullness signal signals. And she really understood what she needed to do to pay attention to that. But then one day, she was at a family dinner and someone had lost a lot of weight and her mother looked at her and thought, hey, maybe that's something you can do. Well, that put her into a tailspin. And then even though we'd been working eight months, she came to me and she said, David, I've decided to do bariatric surgery. So let me digress here a little bit. Bariatric surgery, if you don't know, bariatric surgery is a form of reducing the size of your stomach, either by cutting out a certain piece or by rerouting your intestinal tract or both. And some of those surgeries can be reversed, but they're very, very intrusive. So what happens is the person consumes a lot less food, especially early on, and they lose technically a lot of weight. Now, that is from the body of research that we see. Some people can lose as much as 25% of their excess body weight, and some people can lose as much as 75% of their excess body weight. And I've seen a lot of clients lose a considerable amount of weight doing bariatric surgery. So I'm going to talk about bariatric surgery in another episode. So I'm going to digress from that and go back to Isabel. But so she decided that she wanted to do bariatric surgery, and she went through it. And she had the surgery, and it was tough on her. Remember, she has two kids, a grandson, her mother and her son and her daughter and her daughter's boyfriend and their granddaughter. They all live in the same house. Anyway, she had multiple situations where she had to go to the ER, and she had very close calls, but she lost some weight. She had her follow-up appointment with the surgeon, and the surgeon drops the bomb. Great, but I think you really could lose some more weight. And so this put her even more into, I got to do more, and so more stress, and I got to do more, and I got to do better. So she lost some more weight, and she would touch in with me once every six or eight months, not in a consult, but more on a phone call or an email, and I would check in on her. And so fast forward to two years. Two years after that, 2017 more or less, she came back to see me, and she said, David, I don't understand. I'm doing everything that I should. I think I I tried everything to lose the excess weight. I never got to my goal weight, and now I've gained the weight back. I'm gaining about 40 pounds from my uh, low, which was 210 pounds. Sorry, I'm going to mention weight here a little bit. But she started at 279, and she wanted to get to 180, and the problem was she never got to 180. And she tried liquid, she ate very little, she only ate protein, she tried to lose more weight, but her body just wasn't going to do it. And so she remembered working with me. She remembered that I had told her, you know what, we'd have to go back to intuitive eating no matter whether you've had surgery, didn't have surgery, it's the same point. It's a little bit more challenging, but we can do it. And so she came back. She found some compassion for herself because she was beating herself up that she didn't do this. Now, she didn't lose more weight, and she actually gained a little bit more weight working with me. But more importantly, she moved past the fear of her weight. Now, her blood sugar improved, her cholesterol improved, her back pains improved, but they didn't go away completely. She still had diabetes. She still had back pain. She still had challenges moving. But one of the things that she was always consistent with was physical activity. And that was really, really beneficial for her. She kept up with that physical activity. The point that I'm getting to in all of this 
is can you hear all of that fat phobia, all of that weight stigma, all of that body shaming that had been going on, the multiple diets, the doctor telling her she hadn't lost enough weight, the uh, primary care physician telling her she should lose weight, the visits that she had done with other dietitians that tried to get her on certain diets or certain eating plans and certain eating ways. There was this fear. That's what fat phobia is. It is really a fear of fat or a fear of fat people. And why do we fear that? We fear that because it is not what we think society society says we should be like, and therefore we don't belong to a group of people. You know, I think of this quote from the book, Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle by Emily Nagoski and Amelia Nagoski, and they state the following, the fundamental ambivalence between accepting your body and changing your body is both common and rational, despite the accumulated evidence that people of different shapes and sizes can be healthy, the stigma around body shape pervades every domain of our lives, and the prejudice, bias, false beliefs, and stigma against fat and fat people can literally kill you. And this form of discrimination is not just legal, but normalized, rationalized, by the incorrect idea that fat is a disease. And that, my friends, is why I don't like to use the word obesity and overweight, because What we're saying to the person is that you are overweight, you are diseased. It's like saying to someone, you're a diabetic, you are diseased. No, I'm not a diabetic. I'm a person living with diabetes, but that's not who I am. And more than that, I'm not obese. That's not who I am. Yes, I am in a heavy body, but that doesn't mean that's who I am. And so this is the reason why you'll often hear me say, look, I'm going to apologize if this is triggering, I'm going to use those O words. And this is the reason why I don't like using those O words, because it only contributes more to the fat phobia. It only contributes more to the weight stigma, to the body shaming, and therefore, believe it or not, that puts in a vicarious form of stress among society. That fear is often the reason why a lot of people don't go to doctors. A lot of times they're just sick and tired of hearing the same thing and medications that are supposed to help them. And that's not the treatment that someone in a thin body might get, for example. So up until now, we've talked about Valeria. We've talked about Isabel. We've talked about that fat phobia article and the research behind the fat phobia effects and how cardiovascular disease can actually be ameliorated by physical activity. So this is why I want to get to this next part, because you know what? We're at the beginning of 2020. Caught myself 2022. Sorry about that. And what's going to happen now is a lot of people are going to start thinking about New Year's resolutions. They're going to let go of a lot of that sadness and say, you know what, I'm going to start fresh and I'm going to start by losing weight and I'm going to start by exercising more. And I'm going to say, great, okay, just start small. Do something that you can do for the rest of your life. And I literally mean for the rest of your life. I know that you're not going to be able to do it every single day. But let me give you a little example of what I mean by changing some habits. Instead of looking at this from I've got to lose 50 pounds or I've got to lose X number of weight, look at this as what can I do to make myself feel better? What can I do with my eating that's going to make me feel better? 
Maybe for you, it's getting up and having breakfast. Like, for example, with Isabel, one of the things that worked really well for her is to go back to a structure of eating. And one of the biggest challenges was that very first breakfast. She was often just having coffee, a lot of times because she couldn't eat much at first. So she just went back to old habits by not eating much, which led her metabolism to slow down even further. So for her, the trick was really just being consistent with having breakfast. And I'll tell you, that's one of the most common places that I work with a lot of clients. It doesn't mean that everybody has to have a banquet-style breakfast. It just means that we need to get enough to eat early on in the day to get us going. Maybe for you, though... It's getting a little more fresh fruit and vegetables once or twice a week, or maybe even three times a week, but being consistent, doing it on and on and on. So it becomes so automatic that it's just like getting up and brushing your teeth or brushing your hair or jumping in the shower or um, any other automatic thing that you do. Or maybe for you, it's moving. Maybe there's some kind of movement that you would enjoy doing. Now, you might be thinking, well, David, how is this different from diets and you know recommendations? The way it's different is that you've got to pay attention to you and what works best for you. You want to start with something small. So if it's movement, maybe it's just five minutes. Five minutes, three or four times a week. You like, might be thinking, what, David? Five minutes? That's it? Yeah. Start with five minutes and get to a place that it becomes so automatic. Now, let me tell you, one of the biggest benefits that I get, that I see with a lot of clients, is with that consistency. And that's where Isabel really shined. She was compassionate, and then she was committed to being consistent. And with that breakfast, for you, it might be the movement, it might be the fruit, it might be the vegetable. And sometimes clients come to my office and they're like, we're talking about this again? And I'm like, yeah, because this is really the direction that we need to go until we don't Until we get there, we really shouldn't do anything else. We should just really focus on getting that change and really making it a part of your life. One of the reasons that this is really beneficial is because it increases that sense of accomplishment. And that sense of accomplishment is huge for a lot of people. That sense of accomplishment can end up leading into a domino effect of doing more things. And believe me, this is the main reason why I talk about the small one bite because it really builds up over time. So I really want you to pay attention to that. Focus on that small thing that you can do. Maybe it's getting breakfast or moving more, or maybe it's going to bed 15 minutes earlier. or Maybe it is drinking a good amount of water uh, three or four days a week. And by good, it may mean enough water that makes you feel good. And just to get more specific, because I get emails from people sometimes saying, well, what's a good amount of water to consume? Well, start out with the amount of water that you're consuming now and add just one cup. Yeah, but David, what about the eight cups a day? Well, okay, you could try eight cups a day, but is that as easy as you think one cup is? You know, again, it's a focus on something simple. All right, folks. Again, I'm trying to keep these episodes a little shorter, so I hope you enjoy them. I know we're starting into the New Year's resolutions, and a lot of people are excited about losing weight and join a fitness program. Come to OrozcoNutrition.com. 
check us out. Feel free to make a discovery call. Let us chat with you for a little while and see if you can just start on some simple things. No charge, free, 15, 20 minutes. And if you want to continue working with us, you can continue working with us, but we'll put you in a place that helps you become more in tune with your body and not some diet rule, not some fad, not some weight loss program, and not some crazy cockamamie diet that's just going to make things even worse. All right, folks, I hope you enjoy this. If you think this was helpful, please remember, share this with a friend or a family member, and I greatly appreciate you for doing that. And and think about it for a little bit. Think about how we absolutely love these majestic animals, elephants and, and bears and gorillas and whales and walruses and dolphins, they're not skinny, tiny little things. They are beautiful. And if we can just believe that a person's weight is not the sum of something negative, then we can get so much further in life. We can get so much more accomplished, so much more positivity in our world. Look, you want a New Year's resolution? Resolve to donate money to the World Wildlife Federation or maybe to an anti-whaling group or maybe to saving the polar bears or maybe to an animal organization out there. Whomever you think can really appreciate that. Resolve to, to do something like that. That'd be cool, right? Instead of focusing on changing you because you think that a fat body is a bad thing, it is not. Wait, one more thing. Before we go, I think it's important to say something here. I'm not also trying to say that we should just all be huge-bodied people, right? That's not what I'm trying to say here. And, I mean, if we do become heavier, okay, that's no big deal. The point that I'm getting to is that we've got to appreciate a diversity of sizes because the body knows, Mother Nature knows, fat's not bad, fat's where it's at. Fats involved in vitamin absorption, for example, A, D, E, and K. It is involved in insulation. It is necessary for production of baby, for example, breastfeeding a child and birthing a child. It's involved for the development of neurological function. Your brain is composed of fat. It's involved in the cellular membrane. It's involved in allowing products and chemicals in and out of your cells. Fat is so important in the body, and we're trying so hard to get rid of it. You know what? The animal kingdom doesn't do it. They get it. Big is great. Fat is not bad. Great. I want to thank my team, Jennifer Baugh, Reagan Perkins, Kia Bourne, and Ginny Langdon at Orozco Nutrition. And I want to say thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in and paying attention. Listen, when you get a chance, go to Apple Podcasts, leave me a rate and review, and download this podcast to your device so you get these episodes uploaded to your device automatically each week when they come out on Wednesdays. Okay, folks, I look forward to talking to you soon. Look for some great episodes that I have coming up next with my sta- my staff, the very people that I thanked just a little while ago, Kia Bourne, Jennifer Ball, Reagan Perkins, and Jenny Langdon. And I'm going to have some more guest speakers come in for some great episodes. Okay, folks, until next time, remember, chop that diet mentality, fuel your body, and nourish your soul. Until next time, ciao. Oh, yeah.